Welcome to Hang Your Hat. This is episode 20, Wonder Wall. Today when our walls get dirty, we grab a wet rag and start scrubbing. But as strange as it may sound, that wasn't always an option. In this episode, we are going to talk about the surprising product that started its life as a wallpaper cleaner. Play-Doh. Today, we're going to take a time machine back to the late 19th century. Victorians are hiding their ankles, Sherlock is detecting, industry is flourishing, and wallpaper is getting really dirty. Back in the late 18th century, wallpaper was considered a sign of cleanliness and good housekeeping. In 1795, the journal Du Laisse des Arts declared, for appearance, cleanliness, and elegance, these papers, meaning wallpaper, are to be preferred to the rich textiles of yesteryear. But by the late 19th century, things are different. Homes were heated by open coal fires, which spread a lot of coal dust everywhere. And they were lit by smoky oil lamps, which spread smoky smoke everywhere. And in the city, opening a window meant letting in the fumes, soot, and smoke produced by bustling industrial-age factories. In other words, it was dirty, and wallpaper at the time couldn't be easily cleaned. Back then, wallpaper was basically just paper. Unlike today's wallpapers, they didn't have any kind of scrubbable coating. Getting it wet would destroy it. On a side note, sanitary wallpaper, which was coated in lacquer and could be very carefully wiped with a damp rag, was produced as early as the 1880s, but it was considered unattractive and low class, so it wasn't all that common. Some wallpaper at the time was also specifically designed to make stains less visible, But the problem remained that the wallpaper was getting filthy and there wasn't a good way to clean it without completely replacing it. Now let's fast forward to the late 1920s. The Qtal Soap Company was going out of business and Cleo McVicker was selling off the company's remaining assets. The plan was that after all the assets, which were mostly powdered hand soaps, were sold, the company would be closed and that would be the end of Qtal. Cleo, however, was a bit too good at his job. He was able to turn enough of a profit selling the soap that the company was able to just barely stay afloat. Cleo then hired his brother Noah, and they went about resuscitating the company. Fast forward again to 1933, when Cleo was in a meeting with Kroger grocery stores. Kroger wasn't really interested in Cleo's soaps, but they did ask Cleo if he made a wallpaper cleaner for all the disgusting city wallpaper that no one could afford to replace anymore since it was the Great Depression. Cleo said that he could, even though he actually had no idea how to make wallpaper cleaner. Kroger ordered 15,000 cases of wallpaper cleaner, and if Qtal couldn't deliver, they would be forced to pay a penalty that would cripple the company. Fortunately, Noah proved just as good at keeping the company afloat as his brother was. He figured out how to make wallpaper cleaner using a formula that was pretty common already at the time. For the next 10 years, wallpaper cleaner was one of the company's staple products. 
After World War II, washable vinyl wallpaper became available, and home heating systems transformed from coal burning to natural gas, so soot on walls wasn't really an issue anymore. Wallpaper cleaner just wasn't the hot commodity that it used to be. It seemed like the McVickers look had finally run out when Cleo died in a plane crash in 1949, and the company was looking at bankruptcy. But it turns out that the McVickers are just ridiculously lucky. Joe McVicker, Cleo's nephew, joined the company with the intent of saving the company from bankruptcy, and his sister-in-law helped him do just that. In 1954, Kay Zufall, Joe's sister-in-law, was running a nursery school and was on the lookout for cheap materials that her nursery school kids could use to make Christmas decorations. She read in a magazine article that wallpaper cleaner made a good modeling substance for kids. And knowing someone in the business of selling wallpaper cleaner who could definitely use the sale, she went out and bought a bunch of it for her kids. She found out that not only was the wallpaper cleaner a really good Christmas decoration making material, but that the kids really loved playing with it. So she decided to convince Joe that he should start selling the wallpaper cleaner as a kid's toy. It didn't take much convincing. Joe was desperate for some sales. He tweaked the formula for the wallpaper cleaner a bit, removing the detergent and adding some color and an almond smell, then renamed the formula Kutal's Rainbow Modeling Compound, which Kay fortunately pointed out is a really terrible name. She and her husband came up with the name Play-Doh, which Joe agreed was a much better name. Joe formed Rainbow Crafts as a subsidiary of Qtal, and they soon started selling Play-Doh to schools throughout the local area and began marketing it to local stores. But they really didn't have that much success initially. Since the Qtal company didn't have any money for a big advertising campaign, it looked like Play-Doh might never take off. But then the McVickers got lucky once again. Joe scored a meeting with Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan. Joe worked out a deal with Keeshan, where Keeshan would get 2% of the profits generated from Play-Doh's sales for as long as Keeshan showed Play-Doh on his show. Thanks to its exposure on the Captain Kangaroo show, Play-Doh took off. Soon it was a national hit and the company's big moneymaker, even bigger than wallpaper cleaner in its heyday. Qtal sold cans of wallpaper cleaner for 34 cents per can, but the same amount of Play-Doh, which was basically the same thing, sold for $1.50. Qtal's sales grew from $100,000 in 1954 when they first started making Play-Doh to $3 million four years later. In 1960, Joe finally patented his formula, and he and Noah split rainbow crafts from Qtal. By 1964, he had expanded to Europe and was shipping over a million cans per year. Soon after, General Mills offered Joe $3 million for Rainbow Crafts, and he took it, which was stupid. When he sold, Rainbow Crafts was grossing about $3 million per year, the same amount that the McVickers sold the company for, and the company was showing rapid growth, indicating that they would be grossing a lot more than $3 million in the near future. It was such a bad move that the McVickers employees tried to raise the money to buy the company themselves, but they were not able to outbid General Mills. Only eight years after the sale, Play-Doh shipped its 500 millionth can. And as of a few years ago, over 700 million pounds of Play-Doh had been sold. 
National Play-Doh Day is September 18th, so I'm a bit late this year, but it is never a bad time to play with Play-Doh. Although I wouldn't suggest that you use the current version to clean your wallpaper. You may have noticed that today's episode was a bit shorter than the typical episode of Hang Your Hat. I'm finding it harder and harder to get a full-length episode produced in just two weeks, so I'm experimenting with this shorter version. I would really love to know what you think about this format. I have a very short two-question survey on the Hang Your Hat website, hangyourhatpodcast.com, that will help me know what you think about a shorter episode. I'll be back again in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, you can get in touch at hangyourhatpodcast at gmail.com or at hangyourhatpodcast.com. Today's music was by Andy G. Cohen, Scott Joplin, Jason Shaw, Bizarre, and Broke for Free. The Hanger Hat Podcast is a production of jerkincrafts.com. That is G-E-R-W-E-R-K-E-N crafts.com. You can visit Jerkin Crafts for DIY inspiration, home decor, crafts tutorials, and more.